everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Roundup. This week on our panel, we have Lukas Heisch. Hello, everybody. Nader Dabit. Hello, everyone. And Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. This week, we have a special guest, and that's Kay Plosser. Greetings. Hey, folks, I just want to let you know quickly about Netlify. Netlify is a really cool system for hosting what are traditionally known as static sites. However, the real benefit that I've been finding is that I don't have to mess with a back end. I can just set things up. I build the website out. I've been using a system called 11DJS, and you just deploy it. And then anything that you have that you want to do, you can do on the front end. So if you want to pull in some kind of database with Firebase or something else, if you want to collect form data, Netlify provides all kinds of services that make it easy to do all that stuff. If you're trying to do serverless, they have a really, really neat serverless setup that will allow you to deploy your websites without having to deploy a backend and it'll do some of the work for you. I just I just love it. So if you're looking for a way that you can actually deploy a website that only has front-end technology in it, gives you all the tools that you typically need for the back-end without having to actually program the back-end, then give them a try. Go check them out at Netlify.com. Do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, um, I'm a software developer from Germany. I'm, I wrote a book about React, and I'm at the moment I'm mostly doing... Um, React Native development. What's your book? Um, React from Zero. Um, oh, wow. I wrote it um, with Full Stack IO. Yeah, it's, it's about about learning React with the JavaScript. You already know it starts with objects and functions and te- teaches you how how everything works without JSX and stuff. So and without ES um, 2015. So so you can can use the JavaScript you, you know from five years ago or something <laughs> to to get into into React and um, then it builds up with uh, with JSX and how components works and such things. Nice, I like it. I'm I'm one of the lazy sorts that it's like, oh yeah, I don't have to learn ten new things to learn this thing. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I had the impression that most people were put off from React because yeah, they they were when when React grew big, um, we had this ES 2015 and React brought its own syntax and the JavaScript got updates that had new syntax and the people were like, where should I start? Yeah, and um, I tried to break it down. Um, remove as many tools as possible and yeah, let the people start with from zero. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Um, it's interesting because other communities have done this too. I mean, uh, Angular has fully embraced uh, TypeScript, for example. So, you know, you have some of the same issues there. So I'm curious, uh, Lucas and uh, Nader, what, what's been your experience teaching and learning React? How did, how did you guys pick up React in the first place? I don't know if we talked about that in a previous episode. You want to start, Nader? Yeah, sure. So I started with React Native, actually. And I started with React Native around a couple of weeks after it was released. I'd never touched really React before that. I think I'd seen a couple of uh, conference talks about it. Um, We started using it in my company because we were looking to build a mobile application with a bunch of JavaScript developers. And we were using Cordova and Ionic. Um, we wanted to try something different. So um, I learned uh, React Native first and then subsequently learned React. And I've actually done teaching and training for React Native 
for the previous year, like 2017, uh, pretty much that entire year, I ran React Native training where we, tr- we taught React Native 80% of the time and React around 20% of the time. Um, so I've had quite a bit of experience teaching it. I would say like in general, though, most of my experience has been teaching native developers how to build mobile apps using React Native and JavaScript. Gotcha. That's interesting. Yeah. So uh, learning React was really weird because of like the, those factors you're saying, like JavaScript was changing a lot by the time it was, it was happening. And then it's like new syntax, which is a little bit like HTML, but it's not the HTML. So that little bit was like burning me a lot <laughs> in the beginning. And then when, when classes got into the picture, that was the time that I started like working with it. Then it was like we were learning to be, uh, to get like really far of the this keyword. And then there was like this everywhere. The beginning of learning React was, was really bumpy. So uh, I, d- I did not do like any of those, uh, uh, how would you say those tutorials in the beginning that are similar to your book, Kay, that like, wait, so how does it work like underneath the, the, the cover, right? Like how, it's, it's, uh, how is JSX transpired and things like that? After I started looking at that, is that I, I fully understood what, what was happening. And today, I see that whenever people have a problem understanding something React, we need to go back to that. Like, and people say, mm, now I understand it. So a lot of times it's like, oh, why, why is it like triggering re-render every time? And then I say, oh, every time you create like an element in JSX, it's creating a new object and blah, blah, blah. So this is the things that, these are the things that I believe that people still have problems with. And sometimes you just need to, to do the way your book does, Kay. Yeah, yeah. The tooling and the compile step. And I started like this too. Um, I got into a project and someone said, oh, we are using he- React here, um, have fun. And I, I didn't know anything about React. I was an Ember user before. And um, yeah, it was like, okay, this works like that. I have no idea, but well, I got it running somehow. And uh, one evening when I couldn't sleep, I started writing <laughs> a tutorial about the stuff that, that bothered me. And I thought people should know about, and um, yeah, that was um, 2016 or something. I wrote this tutorial and um, people picked it up and were like, oh, this is so good. I never thought about teaching this like, like this, like from, from the code and not from the tooling, like with Create React app. And you, you, you start with the tooling and it does the magic behind your back and then something doesn't work and you are like, well, uh, okay, what now? Yeah, Let's go to Stack Overflow or something. Maybe they can help. I remember back in the day, like, oh, let's start a new React project. And it was like one week doing Webpack stuff and setting up yeah, translations. Yeah. There was like Google Tracer. There was uh, like, there was so many different like, tools and it was we were using gulp at the time so i think that yeah this new create react app and xjs these new tools like helped so much like i remember the the, the nightmare of of how needed to to set up everything so 
yes, beginning of React is complicated. So that being said, where, where do you start then? Say somebody's trying to get in today, where do you start with it? I mean, do you just pull in React libraries and, and off you go, or is it not that simple? Or do you pull in Create React app? I don't know. Yeah, Create React app seems to have abstracted away all, a lot of the mess that we used to have to deal with at the very beginning. Um, and, and two different ways you could start, I, I would say, typically would be either using Code Sandbox, which is a really nice editor that just starts you off with some code and, and you can start updating text and stuff like that without really having to worry about everything that's going on under the hood. And then Create React app, um, all you have to do is open app.js. You don't really have to, to worry about what else is going on there at first. Just kind of uh, starting there allows you to kind of get up and running with the real world project. Uh, so both of those to me were, are pretty good places to start as far as like looking at real code. And then as far as learning, that there are just so many resources now, it's hard to even say where to go because there are just a lot of really good resources online. Yeah, my, my idea with, with writing Rec from zero was um, the same problem I had. I started with a project that was already there. Someone wrote a half a year on a project and then I got to it and uh, yeah, I had to, to understand what was happening in, in these files. I, I didn't have to work with tooling. I, I, I didn't have to set up any, any, any build process or something. This was already done. Um, this was like, um, yeah, I don't know. It was uh, still before the Create React app tooling was out there, but um, yeah, that, there was already a developer who has put in in the week to set this stuff up, and I don't, didn't have to do it. But I I had to start writing my own components, and I have to start pull data from the server and things. And I was like, hey, this is JSX. What what is this? What is happening here? And uh, that that was my idea with with um, React from zero that people can can. Um, they, they start a project, they see, oh, I have to write components now. How do I do this? Yeah, And they read this book and it's not very big. It's like with quizzes and uh, screenshots and everything, it's like uh, 200 pages. Yeah, So it's, it's really short. And um, the, the second half is about, about advanced concepts. And the first half is about the, the absolute basics. So you, you can use this, this book, you can read it and you know how to to write. You, you you know how to start. You know how to create your first file to to build your components and um, to see something on the screen or to modify components of other people without being overwhelmed by everything. Um, and I already got a few replies from from people who bought the book who said, "Yeah, this landed them job. They read this book and they were like, yeah, uh, could start right away. They could go through the interview. They saw, oh yeah, this." returns that. So most of the people they had interviews with didn't even know what, what was happening in the background. Yeah, they, uh, they, they were using React from the, uh, from the thing set up and then someone came book and created and they have these attributes and all the things and um, yeah, this, this worked for the people and they didn't have to, to use any tooling because the project, most projects were already set up and most of the jobs out there were already um, existing projects of older React apps. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. That's a uh, that's most people first uh, contact with React is like just get thrown in a in a project and people say like do something, fix this bug, or create these tests, or 
I don't know, like anything, and then you are just thrown into a React uh, into a React project. This is like the issue with like any any languages uh, and stuff like that. So, how do you deal with the fact? And this is like how do you deal with the fact that most of the code you're gonna see is not really good code. So that's the thing, right? So the yeah, desert book helps like <laughs> with, because like I'm, I'm writing a new component, a React component. Most of the code I'm seeing is not good because of reasons, because that's how software works. We, can't, we don't have time or knowledge to do everything perfect all the time. So uh, speak of best practice and things like that, do you think the book helps with that? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope it does. Especially in the in the advanced section, I um, did stuff like refactoring, or um, when you go from a, from an element and an input element, and now you want to use your own component or such things, or when you have to integrate a third party library like um, Leaflet or D3 or something. Yeah? I try to help with this, um, but um, I've I've seen projects, yeah, where you can't anticipate everything yeah <laughs> that's it yeah I, i've seen this chapter on integrating with d3 like this 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 is a big uh, a big problem that that i've had like in the past it's like we use these libraries for i don't know like the calendars and you know date pickers and yeah. this graph library and now we have this new react world and then we start getting really mad that we are not back in the jQuery world where everything worked. And so it's really good to see a chapter on that. Yeah, I, I had to integrate multiple libraries in, in, um, in my first React project. I started and I had, a, had this React project and people were like, oh, we need maps and we need some animations on, on the maps and uh, we need some web sockets and whatever. And I was like, uh, wh wh where do I start with this? Yeah, I had the feeling in this time, it was like 2014, um, there weren't best practices. It was like, oh, everyone made his own wrapper library for, for, for whatever. Yeah, And you were like, oh, I use React D3 or I use React Leaflet or whatever. And they tried to somehow... Um, force the react way on these libraries and it didn't didn't always work perfectly you had this this layer in between and you didn't know what was going wrong and so uh, one day i started to remove these libraries and were like so i will use lifecycle methods for this i i will give them their their reference their ref i will put it uh, uh, we'll, uh we'll render uh, an empty diff and take a ref and we'll give it to the to the third party library and and it can do its thing and if someone comes who knows about this library he knows okay this is a ref this is some dom element and i can can use my d3 stuff to to work with this and i don't have to learn all the 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 indirections the how to how to render all these elements or something and yeah, this was was my best practice. What I learned from the project. Yeah, I I do I try to remove as much moving parts as possible. But I I don't know if there are better better ways now. If there are uh, better React integration libraries where you can just put your JSX together and get a map and it works like expected. Because back in the days it didn't. 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting how best practices have evolved over the last couple of years. And at the very beginning, like what best practices were there that are different than they are now and how how those best practices are kind of evolved by certain people in the community. Either a uh, best practice has evolved over actual like real reasons or sometimes someone in the community will just say something and people will start doing it. So it's kind of... Uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like that. I would like, say like the biggest, uh, the biggest example of that over the last couple of years, in my opinion, is the whole render props thing, where like no one was using render props, and then people started saying to use them, and everyone even changed their APIs to use them, and then yeah. now they're almost like been deprecated with the new hooks that came out. Um, and also, like I always thought when I'm when I'm using these render props, most of my code starts looking really messy after. Uh, after two levels, actually, of nesting those because you start getting really uh, gross looking code, and I was always thinking I was like the crazy one because no one was, no one was agreeing with me. <laughs> yeah, with the, the the question with render props is that like it's already ugly with one. <laughs> it's I like agree. You, yeah, I agree. You had, you had like two indentations, and then the fact that they do not they do not compose. It's like we're back to callback hell all over again. Yeah. So, like, it seems one one friend was saying, like, I think that the success of render props is only because it's so easier to type with TypeScript, mm. <laughs> because the higher order components are very difficult to 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 get the typing right. So many people are like, "Oh my god, this is so good!" But yeah, that 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 happens. Like things come and go. Yeah, that's a good point. You're saying like much easier f uh, than higher order components to 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 for write type, a type. Yeah, 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 exactly. But like to use, I believe that it's very difficult to 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 beat a harder component. They just put the function there. The thing is in your props. You can use in your life cycles. Everybody's happy. Yeah, I, <laughs> I had the feeling people were like using, um, uh, trying to to re remove um, different concepts, and by this they made it more complicated than it needed to be. Uh, hooks uh, extend in another dimension than 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 um, than render props do. Render props, it's, it's like you have your your components and you can uh, stack them together. And if you need something extra, you put it in, and your your tree grows and it grows and it grows. And we all saw the screenshots of people who had like twenty render props uh, nested into each other, and it was like crazy. Yeah, and the the hooks. Um, uh, a way to to move uh, in another direction. You can you can still do do this um, this this nesting, yeah. But you don't do it in your in your in your component tree anymore, yeah. Which which clears up the whole thing quite a bit. Speaking speaking on hooks, okay. Uh, you have a, a, a really good uh, blog post that you published. React hooks to, uh, demystified. It it was. It got very big, right? The blog post. Yes, like I read it. Uh, like yeah, yeah. Some people asked me to cross post it, and um, I even got invited to this podcast because of it. And <laughs> <laughs> I, it it didn't get as big as the as the book stuff, but um, yeah, I was one of the first people who tried to to uh, to write my own hooks implementation, something experimental to show show the concept for people. Yeah, it's. 
it's like you 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 import your stuff from uh, from React and then you write your first components and you put in the hooks uh, function calls and it's like magic. Yeah, you don't know what's happening. It's like well, I I I called a few function, but how do they how do they work? Where do they get their their data from? And uh, what, what what is happening here? I mean, people people know they uh, their their components are run inside the react uh, class or the react uh, library uh, they they it's it seems like magic yeah and so i try to look into it and um to figure out what what's the basic javascript that does all these these things like like i did with react from zero yeah people people know javascript but they don't know what's happening here yeah it's like Okay, it's cool. It's much less code than before, and um, it works. But why? <laughs> yeah, and I think it's it's a nice concept. It's a really nice concept because it uses uh, a, a property of of JavaScript that is uh, known by every one of us, but we we don't we not all of us would use it in that way. Yeah, it's like you you if you save something in a in a in a global and um, you call a synchronous function and you, you read it from that global again, um, only this function can, can do anything because only synchronous code could do anything because JavaScript is single threaded and nothing can happen in the background if the call isn't asynchronous. This makes sense again because yeah, uh, React calls your function to get your your rendering, and it knows all the globals before it calls your function, and it knows all the globals after it uh, your function returns. So if your function writes anything in globals um, instead of returning something, or um, in addition to returning something, you you can read it like like a normal like normal data you you uh, would um, you would return. But it isn't. Um, yeah, it's a side effect. <laughs> it's happening in the in the background, and you don't see it because you call your use hooks stuff and you use state or so uh, or something, and then it writes something in a global, and then you return and recognize, ah, this is the global I need to look at, and here's the data, and now I can do something. Yeah. And it com comes back the next time you render something, it knows, ah. Uh, last time they, they saved something in this and we, we read it from there and then we can put it back there before we call the function and the function finds everything as it expects it. It's a nice idea. Uh, it's a bit magic when, you, when you're not used to it. It's like uh, you always read globals are bad. Yeah, this is what, what you read everywhere. Globals are the devil and if you use them, you're doing something wrong. And um, I'd say this is mostly true yeah, but sometimes if you if you really control the environment and you, if you really know that it can't happen anything, uh, people start uh, in some some asynchronous calls. There, you told them they they sh can't do this uh, or it wouldn't work, and you are out of uh, you you don't have the problem anymore. So I think it's 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 really nice and it's um, really for, uh, especially a simplification. There there problems yeah which you need to address when you teach the the stuff yeah you have to tell the people or oh, you can't put this in a for loop or you can't put this in an if statement um you have to put your if statements inside the the call of the um of the hook and uh, such things but well you you couldn't do this with lifecycle methods anyway yeah it isn't it isn't a step back it's just your, your syntax or your your language would allow to do it which it wouldn't allow with with lifecycle methods but 
yeah, you, you don't lose anything when you, when you switch to hooks. I think you win something because now your stuff is compre uh, compressed into one, one hook and isn't spread around your classes. Plus, um, teaching people classes is also a thing you have to do when you teach React. Yeah? And if everything would work with hooks, you wouldn't have to need to teach people classes and classes have their own problems. Like you said, this, yeah, you have to work with this and you don't have auto binding if you use ES 2015 and then you are like, oh, why, where's my this again? And I have to do it manually and uh, all these things, yeah. And all the semantics that are a little bit different, yeah, and they go away. You don't have to teach people anything. You, we, we are, it's like a step, step, uh, step backwards uh, in, in the sense of we, we simplifying the whole thing because we, we need a, con, a, a fewer concepts to express the same, this, uh, the same thing. Yeah. The, uh, the whole idea of teaching classes was that that's such a huge point because people coming into uh, React may have never used a class if they've been writing JavaScript, right? So it's kind yes. of like you're, you're teaching them all this stuff at once and then classes are so hard to get you know, a good explanation, especially within like a one to three day training or, or whatever, or even if they're learning something new, it's just so much to understand. And then trying to explain how this works is uh, it's really tough. You know, <laughs> I've tried to do it and um, I haven't found a, a good a good way to explain it to where everyone kind of gets it. Yeah. And the, and the thing is, uh, it seems that the use state it seems that the the use reducer and the use effects, it seems that they're more natural to the problem we're solving, but unlearn the life cycle. Yeah. The, the life cycles is very hard. So I, I I still do not like teach uh React hooks to, to anyone starting, but in another episode of the, the podcast, we were comparing like this to to maybe like four loops and future map reduce. I've I've thought like future map reduce to people starting, and and it was like much easier to teach someone who's starting like what a filter or a map does than people who are used to for loops, <laughs> <laughs> which is really crazy to think about. Like if you talk about a filter, it's like okay, so you put a function. If it's true, the element is in. If it's false, the element is out. You're like filtering and remove elements. Everybody's like oh okay, and people in for loops is like it's like wait. I have a for loop in my mind. Wait, what, what's it doing? Is it pushing to a new? And it's like it's crazy. Like I feel that this is this is happening now with with, with the hooks. A lot of people are trying to like compile in their minds. Like, wait, what was the component did update way of doing things? Component did mount. Component will I don't know what. And now, how do I translate this to use effect? But this is like how how do we avoid this this kind of things? I don't know. I think a big problem is um, that we we went far away from this with classes and with render props and higher order components and such things because it tried to put everything inside inside the rendering. It's it's yeah you 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 needed some data then you would put your render prop in and it would throw out your data and then you could render and. I never did this. I wrote about this online. Yeah, I blogged about this and stuff, but I, I never, in my current projects, I went totally away from all these, these things. I would only use 
at the top level, I would have a screen component, which is a class. This would have lifecycle methods and everything from down there are just function components. And um, from this to get to, 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 um, to hooks is really easy because I have uh, uh, like, I don't know, 20 screens on my, on my app. And then I have like one, two, two, two three uh, lifecycle methods on every of these classes. And now I would have replaced them with, with these hooks. And since, yeah, sure, there are some asynchronous calls, which are a bit um, harder to, to get around with this. But yeah, I think use effect would solve all of my problems and even, and even encapsulate some of this stuff that I have now in multiple uh, screens implemented and now i have the abstraction to just pull it out without needing to render anything extra without needing to create some components that does this in background with um, the help of react's rendering uh, mechanism so did we talk a little bit about uh, the your book and the process of writing that okay yeah so i created a tutorial in 2016 yeah i i thought i did many things with React that people could be interested in. And I saw that some, uh, I had the, the approach that I would remove all the tooling necessary so people could use it with their, their browser. Yeah, they could just fire up a browser, type some uh, JSX or some, some code and, and could use everything. And um, yeah, this, this was in 2016. Then people would ask me, ah, I don't know about this. I don't know about that. Can you tell, uh, make a lesson about this? And I started writing, uh, writing lessons about this. And one day in this year, uh, in 2018, uh, Dan Abramov um, had seemingly problems with people who were like uh, writing, uh, oh, it's so hard to get started with React because of all the tooling. And then I showed him my tutorial and said, ah, I made a tutorial and it is without tooling. And he probably thought, well, this is exactly what I needed right now. And then he, he, liked, he started on GitHub and people were like, oh, he started this tutorial. Let's look at this. And people were like, yeah, people loved it. And everyone started and, and then people were writing me, oh, this is such a good tutorial. I even got a few jobs with, with this tutorial. I didn't know any JavaScript, I ju uh, any, any React. Before I read this tutorial, I just know some basics and uh, jQuery. And this was enough to get started and write my first components. And this is what I basically did in the first project where I was where I started as a junior developer or something. And yeah, one day, Nate from Fullstack.io wrote me and asked, hey, I saw the, your tutorial. Um, I had people to write books uh, about, um, about technical uh, things. We already wrote a book about React, a rather big book with, with many pages, about 800 pages or something, and called Fullstack React, and they would cover everything. Yeah, um, But it was more a broad approach. They would, wouldn't go into 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 the details they would go uh, everything like hi oh, this is how you connect the back end and this is how you do this mm -hmm. and this is how you do that and my approach was more like i will uh, into the concepts of react and try to get them down and then i started to write the book in july this year and since i already had all the lessons down i just had to yeah to make chapters from the book for the book from them yeah i, I didn't have to to invent new new content, I already had all the content. I have to um, change the format because 
if you write a, a tutorial on GitHub, it's different than when you write a book and people pay for the book and don't pay for the GitHub um, repository. Right. So they they expect some more handholding. Yeah, they expect that you go to it and you don't you not only have code examples, but you tell the people in this. Uh, first we do this, then we do that, then we do that, and uh, you have to look for this, and this is this could be a problem, yeah. And people who who would also who couldn't understand it when reading the tutorial would buy the book and probably understand it after reading the book because it's more detailed um, in in text and um, it's like it's like the repository with more comments. And yeah, then I started to to create an video course for this um which i didn't finish at the moment uh, i'm half through it but yeah this is what i will release in the next uh, in the next few weeks that people who who wouldn't understand it when i when i tell them and when i when they saw the code or people who want to see me write it down letter by letter so they understand it yeah and this is what i did the last three months writing tutorials, books, and recording videos. So when you wrote your book, did you self-publish or did you go through a publisher? Um, I published via um, Fullstack.io, which is a small publisher from, mm -hmm. I think... Um, they got started with NG Book, which was yes. popular. Yeah. And yeah, then they, uh, they've kind of branched out. So I think they have a view book. Yeah. And yeah, it sounds like you wrote the React book. No, no, they have a React book, a really big React book that's called Full Stack React. Oh, like okay. I said, six people wrote it and it's like uh, 800 pages or something. It really covers everything about React. And my book is like 200 pages and it's like, um, yeah, it's cheaper. And <laughs> But it's also more focused on, on getting basic React stuff done. Yeah, so it's like they accomplish each other. One is like uh, you start with React from zero, and they tell you, you if you need more information about AP, uh, API involvement and stuff, you 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 would buy or read um, a buy and read um, full stack React. So, how was the process of writing a book through them? Is it is it uh, are they like very hands on, or do you just kind of submit the finished copy and then they they review it and that's it? Um, it was really nice to write with Nate because he had me edited, edit the book. I, I would write a chapter, then I would show it to him. We, he would, we would write it with, um, with Markdown and he would say, yeah, um, well, I would go there differently or he would fix my, my spelling uh, issues because I'm not a native speaker and I was never really good in English at school. Yeah, I'm. I started getting better in English when I started working and had to read many online technology blogs and uh, talk with with people from the U.S. because they were the only ones who could help me. And yeah, this this was a really really nice approach um, to yeah to to see um, where my problems were with with the stuff I didn't know. Like I I, I think I knew it and I wrote it down and he was like. You can't start from the complex example and go to the simple one. And I was like, "Yeah, sounds sounds reasonable." My idea was first I show everything that's possible, and then I show a simple example that just the needed stuff. But the other way makes more sense, yes, <laughs> especially when writing a book. 
and then we would would write it uh, i would write it and he would edit it and he would make suggestions and i would see ah well um it's probably better if i split this up or merge these two uh, two lessons into one chapter or uh, yeah when when i was writing about all the the details i i saw okay now i did this and that and that and but but how how did i end up like this like uh, i saw holes in my knowledge you know it was like i i knew it i could program it and it would work but um when i explained it i knew oh well i didn't know how this works or i hadn't i didn't know how this works because it wasn't knowledge you needed to program it was knowledge that was hidden like um like with hooks yeah something is happening in the background and you just write your functions and everything works and you are like oh i have under uh, i understand this now yeah i i got the concept but <laughs> um then you try to explain someone yeah this is like hooks you just call this function then you get your state and next time you this your states change you call the function again and they are like yeah but where where do i get my data from yeah it's like i just call a function this function does have to to read the data from somewhere yeah? and then i realized uh, i didn't didn't know all the the details that were needed to to explain the stuff and yeah nate really helped me to to structure this this whole process to practice, to structure the process of teaching all these things so have you been able to supplement some of your income from doing these sorts of things uh, like books and stuff pretty much i i guess i made enough money to to pay my rent for one year with this book which isn't that bad i guess very cool yeah that's amazing <clears throat> yeah i'm always uh thinking about that like ways that you can uh decentralize your income so you can yeah. have like yeah more more it's like it's freedom right <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really nice to write your book. You do it when you think you you are in the mood to do it. Well, I need I think you you need to do it. You can't just say I'm never in the mood and one day it will be finished because yeah, someone has to write it and other people won't do the work for you. It's lower income. Yeah, it's not like it's my first book. I'm not really good at writing. I learned so much when I wrote this book, but I am I was never yeah i never expected me to be an author yeah i never expected me uh, the the one the, the person who barely got through through university or or through through high school to start with to to write a book yeah i was never the language guy diversify the income is is important because you are you are less bound to to your projects i mean i'm a freelancer i i do projects uh, with with react native mostly and um, people are paying good money for this. Yeah, it's it's really everyone wants an application for for Android and for for iOS. They can put into one of these application stores, and this pays good money. But it also binds you. You have like uh, three to six months, and projects have problems, and some things get delayed, and then you sit there and wait for your money because you can't work and write write your invoices and stuff. And with the book, you don't make that much money. When you start it, uh, people pay for it. Uh, when it comes out, they pay many uh, much money. And when then stuff is like Black Friday, you get extra money. But most of the time, it's like... Um, if it's if it's okay, you make like I don't know uh, a few bucks a week, yeah. Um, 
but it's it's continuous it's like it's not like you're so you finished your book you get your big money and then it's done it's more like yeah, there's a bit money and there's a bit money and with online video courses too people buy these courses and then you get there a bit of money and there and i think if you made a few of these it could be enough to to pay your fixed costs with this yes and if you if you're really good you probably don't need that much courses to to pay your your rent yeah yeah that's really good and in the end of the day like you're helping people so yeah it's like i, a, I don't think i make big money with, with how to get rich quick yeah it's it's not <laughs> like yeah this is this is funny but this is what you read most you get some some people who want to sell you books on facebook or something yeah so how I made my first million or how I made my first 10,000 uh, uh, euro or something. And what I say is, well, this book, it costs you like uh, 30 bucks. And if you work one hour of React as a freelancer somewhere, you, you paid for this book. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a job that is, uh, it's many projects out there with React and React Native and um, they pay more than like 30 bucks an hour and you can can get your money back. You probably won't make um, uh, your first million in, when you read this book. Yeah, but you probably can make enough money when after you read this book to, to pay your rent for a few months. Yeah, I think this is good enough for a start. Yeah, I think people get the idea that authors are rich or famous or something and I find, especially now that I'm writing books and talking to authors, that that's not necessarily the case. No, <laughs> I've, I'm not rich. I don't think I'm I'm poor. Yeah, I'm uh, yeah. I'm uh, I'm an engineer and a freelancer. I get paid good money for what I do, but I'm I have to work for my money. Yeah, if mm -hmm. I stop working for my money, it will go away, and I will be. I don't have so much money that I never have to work again. I'm, I can't retire tomorrow. Yeah? If I stopped working, I probably would would went out of, of cash in about a year or something. Yeah, yeah I, I find that most people, when they write a book, at least their first book, sometimes they have the idea that they're going to make a bunch of money. But I think most people who wind up writing a book and going through all of the effort, they'll wind up talking to enough people to realize that the game in authorship is more about getting your name out there or getting your message out there than yeah, it is yeah. about money. Yeah. yeah. And it's a lot of work. Yeah. Right. I talked yeah. to some people who wrote books and they were like, my life was over for three years, <laughs> like for two years. Even when the book gives you a lot of money, if you think about the time that you put in the book, right? It's yeah. a lot. Yeah. The funny thing is after I wrote this book, some people uh, um, contacted me on, on Twitter and said like, hey, yeah, you are like a, a micro-influencer or something. Can't you review our books? And I started reviewing books of other people. And when I read them, I, I wouldn't say I'm a good author, yeah? Uh, but when I read them, I really had the impression these people were just writing books to write books, yeah? Mm. And um, they, they probably don't even sell much they just want to to be the guy who who wrote a book about this topic yeah and you can say yeah. Oh, yeah i wrote like 10 books in the last three years and i'm a pretty pretty accomplished author in the in the in the industry and something yeah writing your my first book gave me a bit of a feeling what what is important yeah and uh you that you have to to have a direction when you try to teach people and have a, a goal you you want to want to accomplish and 
Um, I have the feeling most books are rather broad in their goal. They are like, you read it and you have the feeling, okay, I don't know, maybe I could have read the documentation and this would be okay. I don't know. Yep. We should probably plug uh, one of the other authors on this show, Natter. You wrote uh, React Native in Action for Manning, right? Yeah, I did. Um, and I went to a publisher that is more of like a traditional publisher, I guess. And um, like you, like you, I haven't made that much money off of it, but I've gotten a lot of other perks. You know, like you yeah. mentioned, people come to you for consulting maybe yeah. or for other stuff because you're known as like an industry expert at that point. So um, like the more content creation that I do, the more I see that type of um, response and stuff like that. I've actually made more money off of creating videos online than I have of writing books. So I'm kind of focusing in 2019 to hopefully start doing more video production on, on mm -hmm. websites like Udemy and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Cool. Well, anything yeah. else we want to dive into before we hit picks? I made a video about React Native on Skillshare on 2000, I don't know, somewhere last year or something. It's rather old and yeah, it's it still pays like five five dollars a month or something. I think videos pay much more money, but they are also heavier to produce. You can't just sit down and write your stuff, and then you have a book and it's done. But you have to to get get the whole production process up and running. And if you are not a native speaker, it's even harder to to articulate yourself, and people have to understand what you're saying and but yeah, I think I will do this in the next um, in the next next year too. Maybe writing another book, maybe doing more videos about about things. I started to get into into AWS uh, this year and read much stuff from Nada about uh, Amplify and things. And I thought about maybe I could write something about this uh, this topic, like I don't know MVPs with AWS or something. <laughs> That would be cool. That's that. That would be awesome. <laughs> I'd, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd love to help you out if you did that. There isn't there isn't a lot of content out there yet. So yeah, that's I, probably a good place to this be. Would, this yeah. would be awesome because I think the 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 main the unique selling point of this whole serverless stuff is the yeah we are uh, closer to the to the to the customers and we can do much uh, stuff much faster. But um, all the the things I read online are still about the technology and not about developing speed or how we implement this or that, uh, that uh, we have this use case and want to go there and, and things. And I thought this could be, be an interesting project for, for next year to get something like this out. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Natter, do you want to start us with picks? Sure. So I started a new book this week called 
finite and infinite games. And it's kind of a very light read on game theory. And I'm enjoying it a lot. Interesting. Lucas, what are your picks? All right. I have two picks today. One is, a, is an article I, uh, I read yesterday on CSS Tricks. Uh, it's called Introduction and Guide to the CSS Object Model. We usually uh, know a lot about the DOM, the Document Object Model. And this is a blog post explaining like how to how to manipulate and read CSS with JavaScript, like the the, the APIs that the browser has. I had no idea <laughs> we we could do that much, and it's just like interesting to 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 understand how these things work. And my next pick is a pick that for programming nerds like us, you need to be careful not to waste hours on it. <laughs> it's the AST Explorer. It's a website that you just like write code and and look at the different like the different compilers, how they build the different ASTs and and stuff like that. And I I just could couldn't stop like <laughs> writing uh, JavaScript Markdown and and seeing like how how these things are how the the ASTs are are built. It's super cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I've I've played a little bit with it, and it's it's pretty cool. The AST Explorer. Mm-hmm. I'm going to shout out a quick pick here to give a little bit of context. We did an episode on JavaScript Jabber. We recorded it a few weeks ago. I think it comes out a couple of weeks from now as we record this episode. And uh, we talked about the Jamstack. And if you're not familiar with the term, it's JavaScript APIs markup. So essentially, you can think of it as essentially using JavaScript or you know, frameworks or things like that to enhance a static page. There's a lot more to it. And you can go listen to the episode on JavaScript Jabber. But I started playing with a system called Eleventy, which is a static site generator written in JavaScript. And the more I played with it, the more I realized that this would save me a whole lot of trouble and maintenance on devchat.tv. And so um, I've been working on migrating the website. I, I had a couple of issues. One is, is that the last time I migrated the website, uh, apparently not all of the show notes came over. And so I need some help getting the show notes updated. And I also need some people to tag the episodes. So um, what I'm offering, because I get a lot of requests for coaching. My coaching rate is $500 an hour uh, just because I'm busy and you know it's hard for me to prioritize at any, any less than that. Um, but what I'm doing is if, um, if folks want to get some coaching, you can. Uh, what you have to do is either write show notes for three episodes. And so you have to go listen to the uh, podcast episode. You have to write the show notes the way that we have them on the website for the most recent episodes and then submit a pull request. And if you go to github.com slash C-M-A-X-W, that's C-M-A-X-W, that's my handle. So github.com slash C-M-A-X-W slash devchat-110, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And you submit that pull request with the three episodes show notes or five episodes where you listen to the episode and then put tags in, then if I accept the pull request, then I will do an hour of coaching with you. So you get $500 value coaching, you know, for, for whatever, however long it takes you to do that. Now, if, if you submit a pull request and somebody else submits a pull request for the same episode, I'm going to look to see who claimed it first. So what I would do is I would actually submit an issue on the, it, it's, it's, it's a public repo on GitHub. So submit an issue on the, on the repo and just let people know, hey, I'm working on you know React Roundup episodes. React Roundups, um, 
needs the tagging but doesn't need the show notes. So, um, but yeah, you can say I'm doing tagging for episodes one through five, right? And then that way I can I can give you priority over somebody else who submits them as well. So, anyway, um, yeah, and then I'm probably going to work out some kind of bounty on um, like typos and dead links and things like that. But I'm still figuring that out. So, anyway, um, if you're interested, I would really appreciate the help. I know this episode comes out, like I said, a few weeks out and I'm emailing the mailing list. So go see what people have picked up, see what's left. And then, um, like I said, I really appreciate your help. Kay, what are your picks? I got one pick. It's not that nerdy. It's some stuff I read um, in the last last few weeks, months. It's called Wadley Maps, a book written by Simon Wadley. I think it's it's a nice read. It teaches um, management and strategy uh, to to people uh, who always had the feeling this felt a bit um, magical or they didn't really know what they are doing. And he defines the concept uh, of mapping and um, how to map out your your projects or your your company or your products or whatever. And then you can see where the money flows, what is expensive, what not, uh, what is um, what is uh, experimental, what is uh, proof of concept, or what is uh, a commodity, or what is already a project. What what do we need to buy, or what can we buy from like let's say like computing power from Amazon or something, or what do, do we need to build ourselves? Or um, I think it's an it's a nice read, and it gives uh, it's it's a big book, and it's free, but. Um, yeah, it's a big book, <laughs> and um, I think it gives a nice view on the whole strategy stuff that feels elusive to engineers sometimes. Awesome. All right, and if people want to reach you online, where do they go? Mostly on Twitter. I would would say my Twitter handle, but it's <laughs> I don't know it um, by heart, but I think it will end up in the show notes. Yeah, I, we'll make sure it winds up in the show notes. Uh, K for why one s is my twitter handle i think <laughs> yeah or my can email me i think my email uh, address is is simple too it's k at k a y dot i s if people need want to get in touch with me for anything like projects or or teaching or writing books or, oh my gosh that's you on twitter i've i've followed you for a long time that's <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, I followed you too. <laughs> the picture that you have, like, I have no idea who it is. So it's good to it's... put a face to the, to the profile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, it only took us an hour to figure out that you're internet famous. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. We'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, thanks for coming, Kay. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks to our panel. We will be back next week. Bye. Bye, Bye everyone. everyone. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.